This is Shannon and Durham. Chip and Durham. And Erica and Edmonton. And you're listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 96, Secrets of the Soul. So Erica, when she was <laughs> scheduling this thing, she did the best thing. <laughs> it was an accident, I swear. My fingers just like to type that word better than soul. <laughs> no, but it, it, we've been having great fun referring to this episode as Secrets of the Soup all week. It's been great. <laughs> just, I mean, I would actually like to see about one five episode or an episode <laughs> of anything called Secrets of the Soup. Maybe I should start a cooking show. There we mm. go. <laughs> but yes, um, welcome back to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, where we are working our way through season five of this show that we all love very much. We have uh, yet another generic title that, well, once you actually watch the episode, yeah, it kind of fits. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got all the secrets of uh, telepath origins revealed to more people. We've got Dr. Franklin dealing with a race that is hiding a huge, huge secret. So it, it works, mm -hmm. more or less. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, I'm good with this one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if this is the first episode you have watched ever or in a long time for whatever reason... What you need to know, President John Sheridan overrode Captain Lockley to allow telepaths running from the Psycor to stay on Interstellar Station Babylon 5. Dr. Franklin has been asked by the Interstellar Alliance to amass medical information on all the races that have joined the new alliance. And in this episode, as the refugee telepaths grow in numbers, so do the problems. Lurkers from down below are growing resentful that the telepaths are being given free shelter and are starting to attack. Zack lets his jealousy get the better of his common sense and jails Byron based on circumstantial evidence after a lurker is attacked by other telepaths. Therefore, Byron isn't there to stop a worse attack that leaves another lurker dead. As Lita devotes herself, body and soul, to Byron's cause, he and the other telepaths learn of their origins created by the Vorlons. Meanwhile, in the course of his new job, Dr. Franklin learns of a dark secret in the Hayek race's past. Their planet once supported two species, but the Hayek wiped out the other race, not realizing that interbreeding with the other race was key to their own species' continued existence. And that is Secrets of the Soul. Another episode that is all about the kindness and infinite potential of sentient beings to have each other's backs oh my god <laughs> jumping into um I, the telepath plot feels like the bigger one um mm -hmm. with plot a where we get various things happening uh the telepaths as said in the summary as their numbers get bigger the problems get bigger although the thing i liked uh very much one of the things i liked very much about this episode is uh lita celebrated festivus and aired her grievances Finally. <laughs> All the grievances. And uh, this is stuff that we had been sort of alluding to in spoiler space when we couldn't say it outright in uh, the regular part of it. But, yeah, she's been treated ultimately kind of crappy or at least at the very least taken for granted for the last couple of years on the show. It's not just mm -hmm. the it's just not just uh our control group complaining about the writer of the episode saying, what about Lita? What about Lita? But the, the, <laughs> the characters have been, you know, they've not been outright malicious to her, uh, but they've, they've just taken her for granted, and she's had enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, given the amount 
of of effort and importance that she she lent to the fight against the shadows and then as she points out that you know very very dangerous trip to to rescue Sheridan yeah i feel like what she has gotten out of it she was she was right it is it is totally out of whack she has she you know she gets a thank you whoopity friggin do I love that. I love her line when she says, "I had to join the Psychor, and you w- and we're not even <laughs> going to get into what that involved, mm-hmm. um, which which was a pretty big deal. And leaving that unsaid was actually kind of genius, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, balance, balanced. You know, it, it, now granted, um, if you have to do exposition, this was a brilliant way to do it. Uh, Patricia mm-hmm. Tallman was ranting beautifully. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that that helped that, you know, she didn't give Zach, you know, complete chapter and verse, but, you know, the stuff that um, he most of which he would have been aware of anyway. Is this Patricia Tallman's biggest episode in terms of just meat thus far? Maybe one one of them, certainly. Yeah, it's definitely up there because she did great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I also liked. Especially with with Zach, her playing off of him because he's going in there and, you know, yes, he's jealous. That That's half of it. Yes, he's jealous. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure he's also genuinely concerned. He's got his own reservations about Byron and he doesn't like seeing the influence Byron is developing over Lita. But... But yeah, he's jealous and, you know, jealous the way and racist. He, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The way he struggles for a polite way to refer to the telepaths and the best he can do is people with the worst those, tone of voice those people specifically which is like such a phrase that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that gets has been used uh anytime you want to refer to to other people who but you don't want to put a name on it you don't want to you don't want to specifically say you know what race you're talking about you don't want to say telepaths because it almost feels like a dirty word because you think so poorly of them in your mind like mm-hmm. that's that's what that says right there oh man a lot of the stuff in this episode feels like it's hitting depressingly close to home in 2017, mm-hmm. almost 20 years later. The telepath situation looks like it's on the verge of becoming or appearing to become a refugee crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and refugeeism is a big issue in 2017. There's also a really note-perfect takedown on where racism comes from. When Byron has his first interaction with Thug Carl uh, Mm -hmm. in Down Below, and the problem's not me, the problem's in you, and it always will be. You know, that whole, was number Mm -hmm. one better than number three, Mm -hmm. that stuff. It's very relevant, and whereas I thought last episode the telepath stuff got buried and a little painful under flowery language and uh, regrettable (laughs) songs. This episode sort of grounds it a lot more, I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like this was a really, a really good Byron episode. You know, he's depending on what episode it is and and how flowery he's being with with his speech. He either really bugs the hell out of me or I can see his point. And this was very much a I can see his point episode. And it was, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt for him when he was locked up in jail. And, you know, he really wants the rest of his people to be as pacifistic as he is. And he really does want to create a better world. And he's so frustrated that things are getting out of hand and there's nothing he can do about it and i mean that's 
that is kind of the the problem that you are, are going to be sowing for yourself when you are creating your, you know, refugee camp or whatever you want to call it, based on a cult of personality. Mm-hmm. He is very clearly the leader. He's in charge. Mm-hmm. He's almost the only one who ever speaks out loud. And because of that, if you take him away, his, his people are just left to, to do whatever. So I, I feel like mm-hmm. this is maybe also showing us a little bit of his his failing as a leader. You know, he said, it's my fault because I didn't teach them better. Well, yeah, to some extent it is. You know, maybe instead of just being a leader to these people, you should have also taught them to be leaders themselves. You know, like yeah. like at work, we have this mm-hmm. program, a leader in every chair. I feel like Byron would have been well served to try something like that. That's a good po- thought. Uh- that is a um, yeah, that is a very good thought. Um, and it it's also, um, I mean, the only other person with enough position of any kind on the station to sort of step in is Lita. And she's kind of the opposite of Byron. She has been mm-hmm. taking action for years um, for herself, for other telepaths, for greater causes to save the universe. So, you know, she's not the one who's going to try to get everybody to calm down, except in possibly um, this is going to get you arrested or this is going to get you in trouble, then maybe we need to find a better way. But yeah, so, you know, she's not the answer either. I've never heard the acronym BCFMO before. <laughs> no. Where's what? that from? Is that is that just like future slang? I, yeah, I don't know. But, but his description of Lita as a brightly colored, fast moving object is <laughs> it, it's cute. And it's appropriate to the Lita that we see in this episode. But she's been relegated into the background so often. I wasn't sure that the line holds true for the character as we've seen her to this point or as mm-hmm. we've been allowed to see her. I don't know. Um, well, it, it, it does from his point of view. You know, Byron's never seen her, you know, as anything other than, you know, what he's seen recently, you know, her ready to step up and, and help support them and being one of the most power, powerful telepaths ever. Yeah, I wonder if this was sort of the the way of the writer telling us that this is who Lita has always been inside. We haven't necessarily mm. been able to see it because she has been, you know, under the thumb of the Vorlons for you know the the vast majority of the beginning of of what we saw from her, and then just sort of. It, you know, sort of being sidelined and and not getting her due when she was helping out with uh, with a shadow war. You know, it's it's hard it's hard to be a spunky, brightly colored, fast moving object when you're in the middle of a war. Like nobody was doing that. So mm-hmm. I think maybe this was just a, a line to sort of show us this really is what Lita is and has been all along. This is just the first time in her life she's really had a chance to to show it. And because we don't have the time to show, we're gonna tell. Maybe that. Mm. Maybe that, yeah. And speaking of the Vorlons, um, a, <laughs> a, a shoe has finally dropped. Uh, we learned way back in Zahadum that the Vorlons, in preparing for the next round of their war with the Shadows, seeded telepaths on over 100 worlds centuries ago and had them slowly develop, including Earth. Um, we find, you know, the Narns had telepaths at one point. They all got killed off in the previous Shadow War. The Centauri have them in Bari. Everybody else seems to have, that was involved, seems to have telepaths. And now Lita was the one person who, well, I don't know if she was the one person or if it was just the the, um, higher ups in the Shadow War, but now Byron finds out. And now Mm -hmm. he has somebody to blame for his existence. That is such a turning point. The telepaths just figured up to this point that they were a process of 
genetic evolution. It just happened. There's no one that put them in that situation. They were in an unjust situation, but now they're looking outside themselves. And it really is a big turn. Um, throughout mm-hmm. this episode, you know, Martin Luther King, some white, well-meaning, well-to-do liberals look at Martin Luther King as sort of a mild historical figure, those who didn't live through the civil rights movement. But King, especially in his famous letter from a Birmingham jail, he had no patience for mild liberal moderates or anything like that. And, you know, he was he was fighting honest to God discrimination. You know, it's a hard, it's amazing that people sort of miss that. Byron in this episode, even before the Vorlon revelation, he is absolutely clear about how much he resents the mundanes and the psychor for what they are actively doing to his people and you know his resentment in the brig with zach and the interaction that he has with the cop byron's got reason to be pissed and it's it's communicated very well in this episode it makes his and his telepaths grievance more than understandable i think And then you add to that that you do now have somebody to blame. And most of the Interstellar Alliance worlds were in some ways tools of the Vorlons leading up to the Shadow War. So, yeah, he's asking for a homeland now. That's going to be big. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and his... I feel like part of his vehemence about this is not just that he now has somebody to blame for the, you know the awful treatment that he has that they have legitimately been getting but also because this basically cracks and crumbles his entire worldview and and view of himself like mm-hmm. the the pillars that have been holding up his his view of himself and his people and his rage have now just come tumbling down because of what he just found out he this i think it was only the second episode that we saw him in we when he's talking to to lita and kicking the chair out from under her and stuff Mm -hmm. you know he specifically says you know but we are superior i can't remember if that's the exact word if he Mm -hmm. says superior or better but he is subscribing to the same kind of newsletter that bester is about telepaths being better than humans because they evolved more now he finds out that that's not the case and you actually get a line from him saying to all of his his fellow telepaths we would be normal and he uses right. the word normal, meaning like he's he's sort of like that superiority complex has kind of had to fall fall to the wayside and, and fall apart because it was it was by design and it was by the design of, of somebody who was just using them. They didn't they didn't uh, evolve this way. They they aren't a further evolution of humans, um, at least not naturally. And I think that that is part of what really has upset him emotionally. I am suddenly reminded of the episode Ship of Tears when Bester is muttering is muttering about weapons supplies and discovers mm-hmm. that they were that they were telepaths. Byron has just had the same sort of um sort of almost the same kind of revelation. Mm-hmm. I do find it interesting, though, that, you know, we're sh- we get to see that uh, that flashback to a thing that we never saw before of, of Lita remembering right. Right. Uh, all of the, the tubes with people and stuff in them. And it's not just humans. There are other races in there, too, it, it looks like. Yeah, and- there's uh, the Lurker's Guide identifies them as a Centauri and Markab, uh, the race that died out in Confessions and mm-hmm. Lamentations, uh, the Latori. Yeah. So, yeah, they're they're meant to be identified as uh, races that we're familiar with. 
Yep. Yeah. And and Byron even says something to that effect that, you know, the Vorlons created created telepaths on hundreds of worlds or, or whatever. I find it interesting that he just jumps to, uh, you know, we we need a home planet for our own. And he doesn't even think about reaching out to any of the telepaths of any of these other races that were also created by the Vorlons. It's not just humans. And yet he is, you know, it's kind of a very human thing to just see it from humanity's point of view and kind of, you know, not even think about asking, yeah. like, how, how do the rest of the world feel about this? Do they know this? Do they do they care? Uh, have they been given any any mm-hmm. reparations from yeah. the Alliance? And I, he does no research. That's true. And, and I don't know how much of that is JMS shortcutting it because as mm-hmm. best as we can tell other worlds have, for whatever reason, had more time to deal with this issue and looks like somehow they have gotten past it. Mimbari telepaths, Centauri telepaths, all we mm-hmm. hear is, you know, that they, they step up and help when they're needed. We don't hear of issues yeah, we don't, uh, on those worlds. The the It's explicitly said that the Mimbari yeah. respect and revere uh, telepaths and the Centauri, they seem to be just perfectly integrated into society it seems that as far as we've been shown the only culture that has a problem treating telepaths as humans is earth's yeah i have a feeling my impression is that for whatever reason earth's telepaths didn't show up for a while after the vorlon started whatever it is they were doing and i don't know if that's just a matter of them not getting to that planet earlier or humans took longer for whatever to develop to develop um but well, as yeah, of it, the it, year it, as of the year 2017 i have not seen any telepaths in north carolina nor <laughs> california yeah. nor that you know of no. there is that but yeah i i genuinely my impression is that the other races for whatever reason have had more time to deal with this issue i do not know mm-hmm. why uh are there is there anything else we can think of as far as plot a well, Stephen made a, a hilarious comment uh, during okay. the sex scene. He was just like, "Yeah," because when you when you get then the uh, the shots from outside of like you know the woman like turning her head and mm-hmm. everybody noticing what's going on, he's just like, "You don't get any privacy in a telepath colony." And I was like, "Nope." Yep. Actually, that's a good point. Even if there wasn't some great big Vorlon revelation going on, like still, you wouldn't like th- there are no barriers. <laughs> Like, everybody's in on everything. (laughs) There are no barriers, and it's pretty much been subtexted that this is a pretty pretty free love kind of community. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah. Uh, but when you've got a P12, P13, P whatever uh, person Mm -hmm. making love in the next room and uh, the barriers are dropped, everybody got the broadcast. Everybody got the whole Mm -hmm. broadcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen's other thoughts about the uh, the telepaths were when you when you had them in the lift when uh, Peter the the telekinetic kid is is lifting mm-hmm. up the ball. Stephen just goes, "Are they space mag- magicians? They're just carnies, right? They're all carnies." <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> yes, dear. And then later when uh, uh, I can't remember what he was asking the the question about, but Byron was asking of everybody kind of in the middle of the episode what do you say to all the telepaths and steven just goes nothing they're not paid to right right that's <laughs> uh <laughs> then do they that's do they when he was introducing lita, lita. ah uh, yes yep yeah. that was that was what it is yep yeah yeah i thought that they did a reasonably good job casting a thug this time around this is not always a yes. highlight for mm-hmm. babylon 5 mm-hmm. um and the situation and i sort of referred to this before but the the situation is now you've got down on their luck 
working class or below people in down below. And here come these supposedly privileged telepaths who have a refugee community among them. And Mm -hmm. the reaction is not good. And Mm -hmm. it's depressingly realistic. So I thought that Byron's confrontation with them was uh, well-written and well-performed. And it'll be interesting to see where this all goes. Because the episode ends with Byron promising that they will force the issue. They will Mm -hmm. make themselves heard. That's a little stronger language than he's used in the past. And at the uh, at the risk of, uh, of stealing a segue from, no from Shannon, Go um, for it. one of the things that I liked about it is, you know, sort of as we were talking about before, sort of the the Zach being racist and poor telepaths being sort of the, the downtrodden people who who are different in how the. Uh, the problem is always inside inside the oppressor and not inside the oppressee. I found that a really nice mirror to the other mm-hmm. plot that we have going on with the yep. Hayek because you got to imagine that 800, 900 years ago, it was, it was exactly the same thing. Any of the Hayek would have been having the same kinds of feelings about, about the Hayek. What was it? The Hayek Doe. Hike yeah. thank you. Um, as as mundanes are are feeling about telepaths because they're different, and I found myself, you know, musing if the if the Hayek a thousand years ago had known that that you know intermating with the Hayek Doe was was the only thing that was going to keep their them alive and from dying out. How strong was that racism? Would it actually have made mm-hmm. a difference or would they have just been so, you know, it started with religious laws, which which can be a very, you know, thing that gets right. really easily ingrained in a society. I was wondering, would they have even cared? Just like now on, on this side of things, you know, do the humans, you know, the mundane humans even care that it was, the, you know, it was the Vorlons that did all of this. Earth doesn't even know that there was a shadow war. I feel like Byron's, mm-hmm. like his his thought that that just because they were manufactured by the Vorlons means they're owed something is is a maybe going to fall on deaf ears and b maybe should fall on deaf ears because why why does that make you entitled to anything? Like everybody became what they are for one reason or another, and the Vorlons are gone. I don't know. Yeah, there, there's a lot of sticky situations, a lot of moral issues with no you know no real clear cut answers to them in both i think in both plots of this episode mm-hmm. um so as we said we've got uh, on the other hand you know meanwhile back at the ranch franklin has been we see he's been working on his project that uh Delin and jakar asked him to do to start compiling medical information from all the alien races that are involved in the alliance to help prevent diseases jumping from one species to another, to help find cures for some of these things it's all right up his alley and you know it shows him doing a really good job of it, I think. You know, he's working with the Pacmara, explaining this is what we're trying to do. I thought it was kind of, you know, for yet another parallel to religion, the idea that the Pacmara, you know, are forbidden from eating fish. You know, the the, mm-hmm. the dietary restriction. I thought that was a cute detail. And, you know, then, then Franklin, you know, smooth-talking him into, you know, this is a non-organic thing. This, you know, this is barium. This is not fallen to anything that you're not allowed to have. Um, and then for him to promptly spit it out or throw it up or whatever it was he wound up doing. But Franklin is working on this project and arrives at a race called the Hayek that I think we've seen the the makeup before in the background uh, during the show. But this may be the first time that we've gotten a really good look at them. We've had the Hayek all the way back in season one yeah. when one of them was tossing bottles behind the bar as the bartender. Okay. 
So yeah, they, they've been around and now we get to learn something about them. Uh, and what we wind up learning is that uh, at one point, the Hayek was uh, one of two races on their planet. And after millennia of uh, reluctant you know, interbreeding here and there, things stiffened up, a wave of conservatism happened, and suddenly the Hayek are, you know, as we said, starting with moral, you know, do not do this, and then legal, don't do this. Mm-hmm. And then essentially a, a genocide that happens that the Hayek wipes out the Hayek doe, not realizing that the two species have a symbiotic relationship and are there, both are needed to survive. Uh, we've seen this before with the Centauri. Uh, we get mentions of their planetary history background, that at one point the Centauri and a race called the Zahn shared uh, the Centauri homeworld, and uh, the Centauri wound up wiping out the Zahn. But that feels more like just general war and one side taking out the other. It's you know, with, with uh, Franklin's parallels of Cro-Magnon and Neanderthal man, the idea that uh, the Centauri were the race that... Um, between persistence numbers, whatever, um, wound up wiping out the other, where here with the Hayek, it's recent, it's only a few hundred years old, and it was a deliberate movement by peoples who had gotten to a point of sentience and self-awareness that they should have known better. And they had coexisted for thousands of years, but because they were different, Mm. it, uh, it only took relatively short amount of time for someone to stoke those fears that's and then they the, covered it up and then they covered mm-hmm. it up but that's the mm-hmm. there's a message there that reflects one from the deconstruction of falling stars which is that we will make these same mistakes over again and just because you're enlightened today doesn't mean that you're going to continue to be enlightened tomorrow so that's a pretty sobering message mm-hmm. for the high act though and the ambassador knows and is to a certain extent embarrassed by the situation and i think that she kind of manipulates the situation so that franklin will discover it and oh totally yeah, yeah. but she's still not fully holding admitting to any part of culpability for this she's she's part of a privileged power structure that hundreds of years ago eliminated ultimately eliminated the Hayek Doe, and she's like, it's not my fault. But Franklin's having none of it because, Mm -hmm. A, you've still benefited from it, and B, you were part of the structure that covered it up in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're not taking responsibility for it, and that's, you know, kind of an important thing. Yeah, and I, I find that interesting that that's sort of the key to Franklin agreeing to help them is, you know, you've got to come out and admit this you've got to say so and like chip like you said it's you know the the hayek the are trying to sort of play at both sides in a way because you know they're looking for help they're looking to try and figure out how to make this um how to get this research started to save their races um to help them survive but on the other hand they're not willing to come out and say hey we did this and we screwed up royally and we, you know, there's no way we're ever going to be able to make amends, but we need help. They don't do that. As you said, the, the ambassador, and I think it's with permission of the elders um, or their direction, they manipulate the situation so that Franklin discovers the truth. And because Franklin has discovered the truth, he can tell it. And the Hayek, therefore, do not admit their sins. So, yeah, it. And and it pisses Franklin off 
to, to be used by that, to be to be used like that. And he makes no bones about how pissed he is. Yeah, this was a good as 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 my Stephen said, this was a good Stephen episode. Yeah, with Dr. Yes. Franklin, he, you know, he gets to sometimes when he gets on his high horse, you know, with his morals and stuff, it's a little it's a little overblown or is specifically used to sort of undercut him as a character, um, you know, but uh, are you, are but you saying is... that he sometimes indulges in wide eyed acting? A, a little bit. Um, but I'm not so much wide-eyed acting. I'm thinking more like just storyline-wise, where mm-hmm. you know he's, um, you know, like our uh, our, our dead kid episode <laughs> way mm-hmm. back when, when when his his highfalutin morality high horse that he gets on actually ends up leading to the death of of somebody. Whereas this, I feel like it's kind of a a, a nice flip around of that like he's he is on his high horse and he has a good reason to be and we're we're really with him all the way through and it's it is fun to get to watch him be indignant and be indignant and righteous along with him mm-hmm. and competent i mean you know the fact that yep. he could you know find find this mist find these discrepancies track down this mystery spot the linguistic difference as he plays back the captain's report uh to realize that there's more going on you know, I mean, he he would have found the truth by himself, even if the um, attache had not like stepped up and put a gun to his back and, um, yep. you know, taken him off to reveal all. Yeah. And I thought that was a rather good performance by, by the attache. I mean, she was meant to be an yes. antagonistic character and she did very well at that. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of and through a lot of makeup. Us, yeah. And, and helping us call back to the fact that, you know, Franklin has been in this position before. Back in the Earth-Mimbari War, he had research on the Mimbari. He went to jail rather than um, mm-hmm. give up the information he had so that Earth could develop biological weapons and use them against the Mimbari. Of course, you know, he's going to answer. He's like, you know, yes, I, you know, I will protect this information. That is what I do. I'm a doctor. He's pretty great. He yeah. is pretty great. It's a well-acted episode. Mm-hmm. It is. That was as something Stephen pointed out too. Is he just he's, he's like good with actors? Is Tony Dow? This is another Tony Dow episode, right. and it right. seems like every time he is at the helm, we get some some really well rounded and kind of juicy, chewy performances out of the uh, out of the actors, and this is no different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Patricia Tallman, Robin Atkin-Down, Steve, uh, Richard Biggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Jeff Conaway. Jeff Conaway does a yeah. pr- pretty darn good job being kind of regrettable. Yeah, yeah, we we don't like <laughs> yeah. what Zach's doing, but yeah, Jeff Conaway does a very good job of portraying it. Yeah, mm-hmm. because one of the one of the tough things here is that he's got to convey the jealousy, but also the being the chief of security and also the bias against the telepaths, and they all come out. It's a it's a pretty good mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice balancing act, and it's kind of a. A nice reminder that Babylon 5 is is not all black and white. We've got lots of shades of gray. And you can have a person who is a character that we really like, that does a lot of good things and is a good friend, who also has some pretty deeply ingrained, unfortunate, you know, kind of racist beliefs about about other people. That's, yeah. That, those are things that can live at the same time in, in the same person. The conversation yep. that he when, he, when he says, I got to talk to you, Lita, you know, that's we suddenly realize that we've been waiting for this conversation. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it goes exactly as poorly for Zach as you would expect it to. <laughs> yep. It's yeah. not third space anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not yeah. pizza anymore. <laughs> nope. Okay, so um, we mentioned that uh, Tony Dow directs the episode, and Tony Dow is very good with actors. Uh, any other directorial choices? 
that leapt out at anybody. This was so focused on character interaction. I'm not sure that there was a whole lot to to do as far as flourishes. Yeah, I think it was I think it was just it was so well directed in terms of acting that there wasn't really a need to put in anything that was terribly fancy. I think that it was also well directed from a camera standpoint in that we were always able to see the actors that we needed to see and, and mm-hmm. you know, see them emote as necessary. I mean, we did get some point of view shots when we had Byron, um, you know, sort of seeing things from when he was in the jail and mm-hmm. the uh, the the kid, you know, Peter beating beating the dude up with a with a pipe. It's flying around and some POV mm-hmm. shots from of being hit by that right. guy. So, you know, there was I think it was just really solid all around. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The telepaths had a certain amount of menace to them in this episode that they haven't right. had in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the idea of, you know, projecting onto somebody, you know, something like, you know, you're burning to death and there's nothing you can do to stop it. That's pretty terrifying. Ooh, um, thanks. Yeah. Uh, I also like the fact um mentioning handling you know camera angles and such i thought in general sort of the crowd scenes you know when you had the telepaths on one side and the other lurkers on the other side that it felt like everybody was on the same page so to speak you know what watching this guy hit byron and he just keeps taking the punches until he says you know which one felt different you know which one solved your problem (laughs) and everybody's got the same look of unease in their eyes because everyone is trying to figure out what byron's saying and because they can't let go enough to realize what he's saying that, you know, you have to get over your prejudices and instead, you know, the, the telepaths leave and, you know, here's Carl going like, you know, Oh, he, he pulled some Jedi mind trick on me. You know, he's, he's still not taking the blame. (laughs) You know, he, he figures that Byron has done something. And Byron's Byron's lesson completely fails. Right. Because, Mm -hmm. because he's a violent racist and a good talking to and a good shaming. You know, this is a violent racist who is immune to shame. And mm-hmm. it, and it's a it's a telepath bashing. It reminded me of a scene in uh, the American remake of Queer as Folk, a, a gay bashing scene that ended the first season there. You know, um, it's just it's just that vicious. Um, it's a really, really, really fraught situation between the telepaths and the normals, and it feels like it's just getting more and more complicated. I don't remember how attuned I was to all of this back when I watched this uh, when I was so much younger, but this episode, I think, really delivers on laying out the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else that control group Stephen had to say? Yes. Well, as soon as it ended, he uh, he jumped into a Yoda voice and said, "Begun the telepath wars have." I'm not going to do a Yoda <laughs> voice. I can't. But uh, but yeah, he was. Uh, he said that this episode was good. He said it's finally starting to really lay into what looks to be the main plot of series five. Them, they're telepaths, uh, and he's he's really finding the whole telepath angle quite interesting. Although he says it does depend a lot on who's directing it, and because mm-hmm. Tony Dow directed this one and he's really good, he he quite enjoyed it. Um, and he, he and also again, maybe the, if, I, if I may interrupt it, also maybe how good a week JMS had at the keyboard. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sure that that's also possibly a bigger part of it. But Stephen will he, he always leans direction. That's just right. his style. Yeah. Uh, he he again mentioned uh, at the end. He's like Zach is racist. 
he says those people and then he he's like he says i'm sensing the real world parallels uh and and he he was wondering if there was uh, an on purpose sort of parallel with the telepaths looking for their own homeland like the jews he didn't know if that was something that jms was was aiming for or not but he that's something that he's going to going to watch for and mm-hmm. see if there there are more parallels there i think um, it's a, that's a justifiable interpretation jms mm-hmm. i think has you know done that more than once uh with the idea of um yeah, of people, you know, being persecuted out of the situations not of their making, you know, not of their creation, you know, mm-hmm. even even without the Vorlom factor, these telepaths, you know, they didn't ask to be born telepaths. Um, yep. Any, mm-hmm. you know, any more than anybody asks to be born Jewish, Muslim, whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. The other uh, <laughs> the other thing was uh, uh, he he mentioned how. Lita has been has been in season five quite a lot. She has, has has actually been in it now more than Sheridan. He has pointed out, you guys, mm. we cannot win with Steven because now he was just like, where's Sheridan? Sheridan has more or less just had cameo appearances this season. What is what is going on with that? Why? I have so, thoughts. <laughs> I have thoughts. Not there's it's, it's not just that I the stories that are being told right now don't really need Sheridan. Um, mm-hmm. So they're so they're not trying to shoehorn him in, and for all I know, there may have been production reasons for that. I mean, we haven't seen Lanier in a long time. Um, he did um, mention that as well. <laughs> we didn't, and and we haven't uh, seen Stephen first at all. And uh, yeah. yeah, Londo and, and Jakar have been hit or miss. And you know, all of the all of the actors are on contract, but they didn't have as much money for season five as on mm-hmm. the previous seasons. So I don't know if there's some cost saving in spreading around the actors mm-hmm. a little bit. I don't know. Anyway, I think it's really telling that as the telepath problem gets worse. Sheridan is nowhere to be seen. I mean, mm-hmm. these the, the decisions that he made from on high and then down below, literally down below, is where the impact comes in. And if Sheridan showed up in this episode just to opine about what was happening, I, th- I think his absence is more effective than his presence would have been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. And I think yeah. at the end of the day, Stephen was just sort of more interested in it as a storytelling choice than than actually mm. huffy about it like he used to get huffy about Lita. but I, I just kept saying honey it's a big cast like you you know yeah. you can't have everybody in every every episode but but he he's feeling like this was even more stripped down than we had seen sort of throughout the the earlier seasons when you'd have a, a plot line that was very heavily on certain people in this case you really you only have Lita and Zach and Dr. Franklin, like of our original right. crew, you know, yes, Byron is a regular at this point, but he's not one of our, you know, good old crew people. So that's it's only three people in both plot lines. So, uh, you know, it is an interesting point. And I am I as I keep saying, I don't remember this season all that well. So as we go along, I am I'm kind of just as interested as Stephen is my Stephen yeah. to mm-hmm. to see how this plays out. One last yep. point on this Uh I'm sure our listeners will correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, as part of the whole budget reductions thing, um, they had one fewer day per week to shoot an mm. episode. Ooh, And wow. one way that you can streamline your shooting is to have a smaller cast. Yep. 
Yeah, and this is the Stephen was once again lamenting the fact that he is not allowed to read the Lurker's Guide. So he's like, <laughs> normally I would be I would be knowing about production decisions, and like that's exactly the kind of thing that he will be thrilled to hear once he listens to this podcast. To be like, oh, context, hooray! Yep. Okay. So for those of you who are listening for the first time, watching for the first time, uh, this will be your cue to jump off and put the podcast away until you have completely finished. And hey, there's not all that many episodes left. So um, (laughs) we're getting there. Our homework for next time is a deviation. We are following the master guide, the master list on the Lurker's Guide to Fabulon 5. And we are watching In the Kingdom of the Blind. Uh, as always, you can come talk at us on social media. We are on Twitter and Tumblr under B5 Audio Guide. And there is our website, B5AudioGuide.com, which has our wonderful chat threads and some wonderful regulars who have great discussions. And we love reading everything you have to say. Um, so please come by and visit and say hello. In the meantime, we are headed for a jump gate into spoiler space. Okay, so I could only think of like a a couple of things as far as spoiler space, but at least one of them is like really, really big. This pretty much kicks the telepath issue into high gear. And the next three episodes, four episodes is going to be focused on Byron's quest to get a homeworld. They, in his anger, he goes about it the wrong way. He has his telepaths basically fish all kinds of incriminating information out of the ambassadors from the Alliance, and then basically says, okay, we're going to use this if you don't, you know, find a place for us. And it goes downhill from there. Yeah. (laughs) This episode does a great job of demonstrating that they're boiling under the surface, and Mm. it, it only took a spark. And to mix my metaphors, and this was the spark. Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting, too, that he's that's that Byron is is so, you know, we need to do this the right way. Why would we want to build a house on a foundation that's not going to stay? And then he immediately is just so caught up in emotion that he about faces and he tries to build his new world on a foundation of blackmail. Nice going, Byron. And it gets him killed in three episodes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, blackmail is not like literal violence but true but it's close enough i'd say it's a little a shaky foundation yes it it is Mm -hmm. yes it is very Um, shaky poor steven he seems to think that this telepath thing is going to be the season five plot line three more episodes (laughs) well it is a season five plot line i mean (laughs) when i think of season five that is actually that has been what i have thought of i kind of forgot that there was any sort of a centauri thing at all until you guys were mentioning it spoiler the space and i was like oh yeah that was a whole thing i completely forgot about i only remembered the telepath stuff i think because i was so turned off by byron which mm. i'm less turned off now as i said mm-hmm. i i really was was pretty pretty okay with him in, in this yeah. episode yeah I, and uh kingdom of the blind next episode actually um starts bringing the centauri side into play and that will as you said develop into the second half of season five's um issues Mm-hmm. And that feels actually kind of elegant that mm-hmm. as the uh, telepath situation begins to resolve, we do start. It's not going to feel like season five, part one and season five, part two. We are getting a little mm-hmm. bit of uh, blending here. And what I think really sort of is telling is the fact that the telepath issue ends in such a goddamn mess for the Interstellar Alliance 
which, you know, knocks them off their game. And it winds up taking them so much longer, I think, otherwise, because they are trying to deal with this first major failure fallout. And therefore, the Centauri issue is allowed to grow under the surface and percolate until that turns into another huge mess by the end of the season. Mm -hmm. The only other thing that I could point to as far as spoilers is um, the focus on Franklin in this episode and getting into his role as um, the chief medical guru of the Interstellar Alliance is something that's going to lead to him being invited back to Earth Dome to do the same, essentially the same kind of job for EarthGov. Uh, which he agrees to do. He winds up, you know, doing, he's doing the same thing for both sources, for both bosses. Uh, But he will wind up taking um, Dr. Kyle's place, Dr. Kyle from The Gathering, all (laughs) the way back in the pilot, decides he wants to retire, and EarthGov turns to Dr. Franklin as uh, the replacement. So eventually that will shuffle uh, Franklin off um, as, as the latter half of Babylon 5 goes on. These characters are going to scatter, and and there will be a new generation of leadership put into place um, mm-hmm. that we will see by the final episodes. And if you want to stretch that even further and more tenuously into the future, uh, Franklin will be on Earth when the Drock uh, plague is dropped mm-hmm. in B5, A Call to Arms. And he is, aside from, aside from Tracy Scoggins, who is a recurring character in Crusade, he is the one b5 regular who shows up um Mm -hmm. in a in a guest role uh in an episode of that as they're trying to work to defeat the plague that's one of the few things i actually remember about crusade (laughs) i was just being very (laughs) excited to see richard biggs yeah Yeah. well we thank all of our listeners for uh following along as we continue through closing in on the end of season five of babylon five uh once again the next episode that we will cover is in the kingdom of the blind Uh, And this has been Secrets of the Soul or Secrets of the Soup or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) And uh, until next time, this is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you've been listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5. Babylon 5.